From New Dog Media and Phoenix Fifth, it's the Settle Smarter Podcast. And you really have to get very good at compartmentalizing because that onslaught of someone else's emotions coming at you um, can feel like a tidal wave if not processed properly. If you ever feel like a hamster inside of a wheel running a sprint inside of a marathon while balancing on top of a teeter-totter, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Settle Smarter with me, Dana Look Arimoto. Today's guest is Barbara Massaw, an incredible human being, friend, and executive VP and chief of business operations at FireEye, a global cybersecurity company here in Silicon Valley. She's gonna impart some real wisdom, some lessons learned, and in fact, cover the gamut of the five facets. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you, I'm excited to be here, Dana. I appreciate you having me. All right, let's launch right in. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about what you and I, Barbara, love to call the blend. How do you blend it all together at this unbelievable, difficult, unprecedented time And as a woman who has a family and friends and your own self to take care of, in addition to significant global teams at work, tell us how you actually approach it and make it all work. Sounds terrific. And also, if you could touch on what we've talked about in the pre-show, which is fear, fear around how to make it all work, not just making it all work and pushing through hard, but actually dealing with underlying fear that affects all of us. Great question, and and uh, as you said, Dana, we're in very unusual times, and and you know, encountering experiences in our work and home and personal lives that none of us have faced yet. You know, we didn't, we weren't around during the Spanish flu, and um, so this is sort of charting new territory for all of us, and certainly, you know, myself included. Um, so, you know, as I, I'll cover maybe the the work front first, and then talk uh, more on the personal front. On the work front, so as you mentioned, I lead business operations at FireEye. And what that means is I have responsibility for people. Uh, so think in terms of you know the traditional HR, human resource, people function. Uh, I have real estate and facilities, aka places. And more recently, we added uh, business operations, which is our IT uh, organization and responsibility, as well as our security responsibility. So that is InfoSec and physical security. And obviously, as a cybersecurity company, um, that is a, a critically important part of you know, our own posture uh, in protecting, you know, kind of customer one, which is FireEye, as well as obviously the, the uh, protection that we offer by way of our, our FireEye um, capabilities to the market. And so the combination of people, places, information technology, and security really couldn't have come actually at a better time um, in an odd, perverse way that the universe presented itself by way of this global pandemic, because all of the decisions that I, we, and I think everybody hopefully that's listening have had to wrestle with, uh, they are things that relate to, you know, the human element, the people that are, you know, walking in and out of our proverbial doors every day. Um, they, you know, are a, a facility aspect. So that, that, that contemplation of what do 
we do when we have brick and mortar buildings and people are walking in and out of them and um, the decisioning and criteria around how to, you know, handle that and keep your employees safe and, and healthy and, and ultimately protected. And then not to mention the entirety of moving very rapidly to work from home protocols. And, you know, we're a over, you know, 3,200 person with a global footprint. We operate in over 30 countries around the globe. You know, how do you just snap your fingers overnight and have confidence that um, your network, your, um, you know, your, your VPN, your access points, your technology can be accessed and employees can remain productive um, and <laughs> do it in a secure and safe way. And so, you know, when you said platter versus plate, you know, I'm, I'm now calling it like the charcuterie smorgasbord, um, but it really helped with having purview to those, what I call kind of four key pillars in order for us to rapidly respond and ensure that we were doing all the right things as an organization and ultimately putting human, you know, safety and health first and foremost. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing how you're blending it all and making it work. And a couple things you mentioned that I want to point out before we talk about what's next is clarity and understanding and simplifying and sort of boiling things down with the bombardment that comes to all of us, whether like you said, it's the news and media or the messages at work. There are a lot of number ones that you pointed out, taking care of your company, number one, your employees and your teammates, number one, yourself, number one, your kids, your husband, your wife, your partner, number one. There's so many number ones to care for. And when that bombardment and we're overwhelmed with all of this information is happening, that bombardment causes a lack of clarity and simplification. So listeners take note, in order to settle smarter, we need to simplify. So Barbara, along the lines of keeping it simple and adding clarity, tell our listeners the how, how you started to talk this all through with all the various constituents in your life and all these facets, working toward that work-life integration and not striving toward balance where you might end up getting stuck and exhausted like we always used to try to do before we knew better. How did you actually have these conversations and deal with the fear? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the other aspect that has been really interesting for me and, and for our teams that have been, you know, mobilized around the globe and helping us, you know, make decisions on what to do and what not to do, um, you know, fear... I think number one at the outset was a genesis of just an unprecedented situation being, you know, first of its its kind for for any and all of us. And when something is not known, um, I think our natural human response is to be fearful of it. Um, and so, you know, what we did was really up the ante on communication because fear is a natural response to something that you fundamentally don't know, don't understand. Um, and once you can get greater clarity or get greater understanding or have someone just simply communicate in a way that resonates, we found, and I found personally that that, that tampered down my own concern and my own kind of, you know, inner spidey sense that was going up. Um, so we really tried to, to up the ante on that front. And I have to say, it was a big deal for us at, on the home front and with kids and with schooling and how drastically their lives changed. I have a, you know, an almost 16-year-old daughter who's a sophomore in high school. I have an um, you know, 11-year-old son who's a fifth grader. 
and it was, you know, practically overnight. Okay. Not going back to school tomorrow. Oh my gosh, you have to go into a grocery store and wear a mask and you've got media and news just coming at you every which way from Sunday overload. So, you know, kind of seeing through, you know, the forest from the trees, trying to get clear and trying to really communicate and over communicate, but simply on those areas you have answers to um, certainly helped out. But yeah, I, I like your reference on fear because it was rampant at the outset for sure. So the other phase, I guess, of grieving that not everyone knows about is what's known as reconstruction. So some of what this wisdom is you're imparting to us and our listeners is all about reconstruction, isn't it? Oh, Dana, I'm so glad you you mentioned that. Um, and you have to say, we had such good dialogue, both on the work with our executive team front, as well as, you know, personal conversations with my family, my friends, my kids. Um on the, you know, on the work front, um, I likened it to kind of a, you know, there's the, the change curve. So, you know, have that kind of visual in your head. So that's sort of one model. And then, you know, there's the Gubler Ross, you know, kind of <laughs> the, the, the five stages of grief. I think there was, um, you know, a, a sixth stage that was potentially added, but those, those five stages of grief, what you find is that there's some really interesting parallels to those change curves and those adoption curves. And when I think about, you know, what we turned to from a work front at the very early stage, it was, okay, we need to communicate, over-communicate, but be clear, be concise be crisp on what we were telling, informing, and asking of employees. So we got through what I would say that tactical checklist. You can't come into the offices, health and safety. Here's, you know, if you need to get an item from the office, here's how you can do it. And here's how we'll support you. If you need to go to the office and pick up your docking station, we'll make sure you can do that. Um, You know, there was these sort of tactical items. Okay, great. So then there was sort of this, you know, sigh of relief. Great. All right. Now, I'm going to be at home. I'll get myself sort of mentally shifted and I'll take that one step to the right in that kind of change curve. Okay. Well now I'm into week two. Kids are home. I'm home. Spouse is home. Dogs are home. Turtles are home. Fish are home. And we're staring at the same walls. And wow, I realized that I'm liking this because I feel like maybe I'm more productive and so forth, but wow, you know, I'm rolling out of bed and my partner is in, you know, at the kitchen table on their computer. I'm having to take Zoom calls from my bedroom. Uh, My kid is trying to get homeschooled. So, whoo, this feels kind of overwhelming. So we then kind of messaged and tried to provide support and guidance and training on Everything we could find out there from industry, from support groups, from EAP, um, on the, I'm not going to yet say well-being, on just emotional support, moving to a work-from-home scenario, that sort of thing. Okay, so now we move into like week three, week four, and now you're going, wow, this is not changing soon. Uh, I'm going to probably be in this environment for the foreseeable future. Now I'm eating more than I'm normally eating in a day's time. I'm not able to go to the gym. I'm not able to get outside. My I can't play tennis with my friends or soccer with my friends. My kids aren't able to play their sports. So, ooh, I'm starting now to kind of not feel good about myself. And I'm putting in two to three extra hours of work a day, you know, et cetera. So kind of the next step was 
leaders, you know, again, communication, support for well-being. And then we took, you know, everything from mindset shift, yoga, meditation, um, how can we bring in external resource to provide breaks in the day? I have people on my team who are great skilled facilitators at actually putting on training. So we did that. And then we actually moved into what I would call a proper kind of week of mental health, health focus, where we brought in you know external folks to inform the content. And this moved beyond meditate for five minutes in the morning stand up, you know, and take a break, go outside and get fresh air. This was, this was really guided by professionals on the mental health front. Um, so it's a lot of content. Hopefully you can kind of chunk this up in a way, but that's been the methodology of our movement. And I have to say, it's the same thing that we've been doing on the home front and conversations with the kids and trying to, you know, talk about well-being more as a family than we ever have. You know, I sat down and, you know, meditated with my, you know, 11 year old when I'm out on the treadmill for the first time ever, he's like, Hey, can I come out and lift a couple of weights? And this is my kid who one day, you know, is like hopefully the future Bill Gates. He's doing Python coding at 11, but anyway, I digress. Um, so hopefully that kind of step function is helpful in kind of how we thought about it and certainly what's worked for us. Any steps in that step function you mentioned earlier to healing, healing yourself, healing your coworkers, helping one another out, what are the steps, I suppose, towards healing? Because that's part of reconstruction. Yeah. You know, I I think there's a a couple of things. Um, You know, first and foremost, I have been amazed, thankfully amazed, at the quality of free content that is available on this delightful world of interwebs that we live in now. And I'm thankful and grateful that as a corporation, we um, are able to have things like, we have this thing called Groker, and it's you know visible to all of our employees in kind of their single place that they go to. And inside of that, uh, and again, we, we pay for this. It's actually not a very expensive thing for a company to do. I promise I don't get any royalties from Groker. Uh, but it's got you know guided meditation, yoga. Ch- like who knew that there's chair stretching, chair stretching in the middle of the day. There is nutrition and recipes and it's a fun social way because you can do it and then you can market and say, I did this and it can be visible and and be shared with others if you choose. So there's a community feel to that, uh, which is honestly, I think going to become even more important than ever as we think about social distancing and and some of these new norms. How do you create community and connection and and trust and so forth? But um, just back to that, that's one thing that we were able to do and we actually already had it in place. But if you just go to YouTube or you just, you know, go to an app, some of these apps are either free. So you have to deal with a few ads popping up here and there, but a lot of them have free versions. So I think what you can do for yourself is A, know that your well-being is vital to how yourself shows up in the world, to your family, to your your friends, to your employer, and ultimately, most important, to yourself, right? We want to feel good about ourselves. So, you know, if if you're a list maker, you know, go check out the free resources across apps and YouTube, and they really don't cost a lot of money, if anything, but putting it as a priority for yourself is empowerment step number one. 
All right. Next, where I want to go is you're an HR professional and you have been responsible for and leading teams of hundreds and thousands of people for a very long time. What's the first step in helping people recognize that perhaps they are heading toward burnout, especially now? Super important point. So we've taken kind of two approaches. So me personally and my team and my leaders, you know, I personally will do this and I expect that my leaders will is you just go right to that person and you acknowledge it and obviously in the right way, not as a negative thing, but you know, Hey Dana, I've really noticed you've been absolutely burning it at both ends. You know, I'm getting messages from you at 5 AM. I see the timestamp at 11 PM. I just want to check in. Are you okay? You know, if you're, if you're doing that because that's actually now creating a new work schedule for you because you find that given your family commitments in the middle of the day, you're either choosing or you have to um, want, you know, doing, say, homeschooling for your 10-year-old. And you need to kind of check out of work in the middle of the day because, you know, you need to check in and, and support them. Or you just want to go take a bike ride or be with your family or cook lunch or, you know, whatever. But I want to make sure that you're not, you know, undoing yourself. And please be honest, because if it's the la- if it's the the former good, if it's the latter, then help me help you prioritize. Help me help you, you know, figure out how to move some work around, um, because I don't want you to feel like you have to do everything. So that's that's number one. Um, the second part that I think corporations at the executive level can and should do is make it okay. You know, there has to be executive messaging that makes it okay and acknowledges it from the CEO, from me, from quote executive staff that says, it's okay to take a vacation. Please do that. If you have to construct hours in different ways, and you can do that through a message to the company. You can do that through recording a video. We do an every Thursday CEO address where at 10 a.m. and at 7 p.m., my CEO holds a live call for 30 minutes. And we've been doing that now. I think we're into week 10 and we're going to continue to do it for the foreseeable future. So you got to hit it both. One-on-one, direct frontline managers, you know, spot it when you see it, call it out, talk about it, but you really also need to have the corporation endorse it with messaging so that it's okay. So those would be the two, two kind of approaches. Now, what would be really cool is if you could share some practical advice and insight on what you're finding these thousands of people actually really want in terms of working remote and productivity and the impact of remote work. And also thinking about coming back to work. What does that look like? How are you getting your arms around that with such a large team of workers around the world? Absolutely. And what's also really interesting and so different about this period and this transition is, um, we did a a survey of our global employee population. And the first survey asked, hey, how productive do you feel you are being? You know, equally productive, more productive, less productive. Hey, kind of not applicable. I already work from home because I wanted to understand how people were, were thinking about it. And then we asked a second question. And that question, excuse me, was around, you know, 
if at some point we go back to offices, when would you be comfortable? So we called it the sentiment survey. So one was productivity and then, hey, you know, is it like vaccine available? Is it, you know, clinically or medically endorsed testing widely available? Is it, um, hey, I'm comfortable now or when regulations ease, you know, just very simple. So what was interesting is that 89% of our employees felt that they were equally productive or more productive. Okay, so great, productivity. But again, to the point is, but now that's productive in a different way because it's now separated by a door. And some people don't have doors to even, you know, you think about global, um, you know, Asia or, you know, uh, India or Europe, even where you've got people that are living in much smaller footprints um, just due to density or, you know, city and population that they live in. And so we've now asked um, a second survey, which is, what's your preference? So you've given us productivity, you've given us kind of comfort and, and safety. Now, do you want to go back to an office? So, you know, at this point, that's obviously open. Um, we're going to kind of pull that down and be happy to share that um, when, when we do get that. But we really want to understand, and what's your preference? Do you want to go back or not? Because quite frankly, we've proven we can do this. The third part, and again, this is a little long-winded, sorry, though, is We've got to, as a society, now figure out how to chart the new norms because while people might have a preference for working from home, they might feel equally or more productive. Okay, great. Yay, yay, yay. Um, but how do you now ensure that we relook at core work hours? right? Okay. Well, they used to be kind of eight to five, nine to three, nine to five. Well, that's kind of not the case. Um, how do you solve for um, creating community and trust and relationship building, which are typically things done when you are breaking bread with one another across a table? Um, so new interesting things for us to collectively solve and confident our community and society can. Right before the pandemic, our listeners probably don't know this unless they were actually at the event where you were gracious enough to bring me in to talk about my life's work and my passion, which you have been such an incredible supporter of and promoter of, which is the notion that we can't sprint our way through the marathon. When running in the hamster wheel, that's looking for that balance that never arrives or it does. And it's bleeding. And then, you know, you roll out of the hamster wheel, exhausted, depleted, sick, and not joyful, maybe really productive, but really the value goes away, right? and you don't have anything left to give. So talk to us about that and how that's showing up now in this quote unquote new norm, which you and I have debated whether that's a good way to put it. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you said it perfectly, Dana. I mean, the, your, your body of work um, and you know, the wheel and the, the, the way that you architected that integration, I, I mean, it's just the recipe, right? It's the recipe for, okay, well, now I'm, 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 I'm living in this quote, you know, new normal, although you know, I, I hate the, you know, some of these phrases that, that sort of get just picked up and uh, you know, create a life of their own. But I would really encourage people to check out your work that haven't yet because it, it provides a recipe. You just got to figure out at this point in time, which part of that recipe needs, you know, the full cup and what maybe only needs the eighth cup that day, or maybe what needs a teaspoon, you know, that week and giving ourselves permission that, you know, that recipe build is going to be different week to week and month to month. You know, something you said earlier really struck me between the surveys and the way you're adapting. It would be good to just 
just, you know, continue this conversation and share what's working and what's not almost like real time. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could do some kind of weekly sync? Oh my goodness. Yes. All right. Fact versus fiction time. Here come our rounds. Listeners, brace yourselves. We're going to do a speed lightning round as usual called fact versus fiction starring Dana and Barbara. Here we go. Fact versus fiction. Work-life balance is a myth. Yes, yes, that is, that is. I was, yes, so I was just reading, I was literally just reading this myself the other night. And um, one of the original, you know, kind of authors went back to the family and said, you know, gosh, I have all this new research that says there's there's this sixth thing. And, you know, do I have your permission to introduce it into the framework? And that's pretty new. And yes, it is, it's fine meaning. Fact versus fiction, Barbara, it is possible right now to under-communicate. I, I have to say, I think it is more fact than fiction, um, for sure. Now, I think there's a lot of fiction out there by way of communication that is coming at us, but I do think that over-communication in the right way is very important. Fact versus fiction, despite the intensity, uncertainty, and incredible difficulty surrounding 2020, and in particular, the pandemic, there is silver lining in terms of how we view relationships. I think it's fact. I think it's fact. Um, no, I, I, I've seen examples of it. It's something that actually I regularly recite of my own. My exec staff is probably tired of hearing me say it because I quote it regularly. Total fact. And with that knowledge that relationships are key, perhaps humanity will become more educated and positive because of this incredible crisis and year. Oh, 1000% fact. I think that, um, you know, as a, as a human race, you know, when you, when you talk to hospice nurses and you talk to people who deal with end of life care and, you know, I certainly know, you know, with the passing of, of my two parents and my communications, you know, prior and, and, you know, it, you're not talking about that project milestone. You're not talking about, you know, how much money you have in the bank. You're not talking about which new car that you bought. You're talking about relationships. You're talking about, you know, did I love in the right way? Did I have meaningful relationships? Did I give of myself to the people that matter most? Um, And quite frankly, I think when presented with really scary potential of illness, COVID-19 or otherwise, it does recenter yourself into what's important. Um, So I think more than ever, the humanity, uh, my hope is that this helps humanity in the long run um, and means a great deal. So absolutely. I'm not sure I've talked about this on other shows, but I do want to just thank you and anyone in the field of human resources and being responsible for other humans at work in particular, and of course, always at home too, but at work where you have such a strong front line of support face that you need to have every day to take care of others and make sure that they're okay. I just want to thank you and everyone I know in the field of human resources for what you do. You are another kind of frontline worker in addition to the other kinds of 
first-line responders and frontline workers that we all think about right now that have just given so much of themselves. Thank you. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think it, it any of the functions that you there you you take on or are the recipient of someone else's emotional response right you think about you know the healthcare workers and from police officers to paramedics and EMTs and first responders and nurses and nurse practitioners and and then you extend it right taxi drivers and you know subway conductors and and bus drivers and janitorial staff and then you go you know into grocery store clerks you know people that are checking us out they're coming in contact with hundreds of people. And then you think about those workers who have to engage with, you know, and be the recipient of others' emotions. And that certainly is a large part of the human resource profession. Um, And you really have to get very good at compartmentalizing because that onslaught of someone else's emotions coming at you um, can feel like a tidal wave if not processed properly. So thank you for that. Okay, now for something a little bit more light. Barbara and I like to ask each other when we're talking in front of anyone, an audience or listeners, whether it was live before COVID or now as we talk to people virtually, it's fun for us to get to know each other with whomever is the audience. And so we like to ask each other this question. So Turnabout is fair play, my dear. What is your favorite movie? So there's many movies, um, you know, to the inclusion of Flash, Dance and many others that I absolutely love. Um, but all the president's men had a really impact on me and the magnitude of the story itself, um, the journalistic uh, discovery of such a high office in our country, um, the methodology and process and willingness of these journalists to just keep going at it and at it and at it and at it despite personal and repu- you know personal safety despite reputation concerns all those things it, it you know it was spellbinding and not only did that you know was it beautifully acted the book is incredible it's obviously a tale you know picked right out of you know our own uh, country's history books so for all those reasons i just i love it and every time i watch it there's some new little factoid or nugget that I learn, which is just awesome. Something else that listeners might not know about you is that you are a lifelong athlete and you would absolutely kick my butt on the soccer field. I'd love you to share a little bit about practice makes permanent, not perfect. What comes to mind? Yeah. You know, I I have to say, um, you know, that it so resonates with me and um, Mia Hamm, who, you know, as you know, I'm a lifelong soccer player and she's one of my, you know, the absolute all-time greats. Um, You know, her coaches said, you know, even as a a young one and particularly in in high school and then college, and she went on to be one of the, you know, winningest winningest, uh, U.S. women's soccer uh, players of all time. And they said, you would, training would finish and she would, you know, everyone else would leave the field. And the coach would come back and see Mia, you know, hunched over, just sweating. And she's still doing like liners on the bleachers, not for anyone to see or observe, but just because she was doing it to get better. So I think it, it is uh, both in business and personal um, craft, as well as obviously on, you know, just kind of fitness. You, you, do, you do the right thing when no one's, um, you know, listening or looking and uh, it resonates in so many ways. 
before we wrap up in usual settle smarter listening world, we love to share with our special listeners a favorite quote from our guests. What is yours? So my absolute favorite is uh, the beloved Maya Angelou, and I'm sure this is one that that many of you have heard. It's it's quite a popular one, um, but it's you know I've learned that people will forget what you said, and people for, will forget what you did, uh, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Um, and I just I think that's true of whichever job, function, form, family, athlete, friend, uh, whatever it happens to be, um, at a human level, we remember how people make us feel. Well, along those lines, I have to say my listeners probably feel like a big warm hug has just been bestowed upon them right now. That is always how you make me feel. Even when we're having to talk about difficult subjects, like some of the ones that we tackled today, you always have such an amazing way of communicating that makes everybody feel like even when it's hard, there's still so much warmth. And I thank you. Absolutely. And just thank you, Dana, for the work you've brought into uh, this world. It really is so impactful. And I just appreciate greatly um, our friendship and all of our years that we've connected with each other. And uh, keep on rocking it, sister. Settle Smarter is produced by New Dog Media in association with Phoenix Fifth, who are solely responsible for the content. Check the show notes for links to our website, settlesmarter.com. To find Dana Look Aramoto's latest book, take the quiz, read more about today's guest, and to contact us with your response to the show or any questions or comments. And don't forget to subscribe to the Settle Smarter podcast and share the episode. Settle Smarter was recorded and edited by Paul Godwin, who also composed our theme music. Settle Smarter can be heard at Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you hear your podcasts. On behalf of Dana Look, Arimoto, and the whole Settle Smarter team, this is Paul Godwin saying, see you next time.